Hey, it's Brandon Laws, your host of Transform Your Workplace. Today's episode is brought to you by Gresham, Oregon's Chamber of Commerce and their Work Ready program. The Chamber's initiative is building a strong partnership between the business community and the school children. So go learn more about the Work Ready program at greshamchamber.org. Link is in the show notes as well. All right, well, today is a special bonus episode. I'm stepping aside as your regular host, and I've invited Al Nodarce to the podcast, and he interviews Drake Snodgrass of Drake70s, a small business in Oregon, and he shares a story about buying his business from his father, growing it, and what the pandemic's done to the organization, which... uh spoiler alert, they've actually grown through the pandemic and just what their workplace culture means and how they're bringing on new talent to the team and they have big revenue goals and just what all that means from a workplace perspective. You're going to get a lot out of this. I love these stories where, you know, we talk regularly on the podcast uh, when I'm interviewing folks, it's typically about practices and theories and all these things. And then, you know, you could take that information and then put it to practice yourself. Or, you know, what we're providing here is you can hear right from a CEO himself, you know, who's running an organization, who's trying some of these things. Some of them might work, some of them might not. But just to hear it from their perspective, you know, business can be messy. And hearing from somebody is really valuable about how they're running their business and how they think about their their people and their culture and all that. So hope you get a lot of a lot out of these CEO conversations that we're adding into the mix of bonus episodes on Fridays. So enjoy. Make sure to uh, hit that subscribe button if you really love the content that we're putting out. And the best thing you can do is share it with a friend. So we appreciate you for the support. Uh, enjoy today's episode and we'll be back with a regular episode on Tuesday. I'm Al Nadarce, your guest host. I had a great and inspiring conversation with Drake Snodgrass. He happens to be the CEO of Drake's 70s. Some of the great nuggets that you'll capture from our conversation, really interesting business, been in business for over 60 years, and they're a family-owned business. So they've been through three different generations of family, and we all know how challenging it is just to run a business. But when you put that element of family in it, it can make it that much more challenging, if you will. With the pandemic, they were affected just like everyone else was. Drake made a vow to keep all the employees on staff, no matter how difficult things were. And during that time, he made three key commitments that you'll learn about here in the podcast. And by making those three commitments and honoring those, not only was he able to keep all of his employees, but they actually doubled in size over the next couple of years. And now he's at a point now where they're looking to transition to the next phase of leadership and ownership in the company after three generations over 60 years. So I think you'll enjoy our conversation. Feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, thoughts, or comments, and let us know what you think. We love connecting with our listeners and enjoy the show. How are you doing, Drake? Doing great, Al. How are you? 
Great, great. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Drake, the first thing I want to do is, is because our podcast is broadcast internationally and a lot of folks are here, but a lot of them are out of the States and other areas. And Drake's 7Ds is a household name here in the Portland area, but there's a really interesting story on the start of that business. And it goes back to, I believe your grandfather. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that story? Because a family business is interesting, but the way you guys split up and had two separate companies, I think is even more intriguing. Starts out with my granddad, and he had a, a rhododendron growing nursery in the Portland area, kind of when Portland was a small town, relatively small town. He imported rhododendron seeds from England and kind of got things going. And back then, there, there weren't really garden centers. And so it was kind of a wholesale retail nursery. And uh, now, rhododendrons, and, and shortly after the seeds were, were stopped being used, the cuttings were made. And so the propagation process sped up significantly, but starting with seeds would just blow me away because the, the varieties would, you know, the colors of the flowers would be based on natural selection more than pure hybrids. So anyway, but he got going and my dad and mom, he was working for Montgomery Wards and, and went to World War II and came back and worked for Wards for a while longer and then decided to start a garden center. So it wasn't my granddad wrote it in a nursery. He decided to stay in the business, but to start his own business. And so bought a, a, a another growing, wrote it in a growing property on 60th and Powell and turned it into a garden center and uh, took off from there. So that's the beginnings. And we, when he did that, my mom, dad had all seven of us kids and we had asked him, our names all start with letter D and we'd asked him before he passed away, Hey, did you come up with that name or, or, you know, how did you get there? Did you know you were going to do it? And he said, nope, I just, we had you seven and we, and your names were your names. And then we were going to start a company and we thought, Hey, seven D's that works. And it's been, you know, a fabulous, it's a great story that people ask us about still today. So it's kind of fun to be able to explain it and, or they'll say, now, I know it's something to do with you kids. What is it? You know, it's like, well, <laughs> it's Daryl, Dan, David, Dennis, Dean, Drew, and Drake. Wow, that's that's fantastic. It's interesting because there's a, a bakery in Beaverton that's called Seis Estrellas, which in Spanish means six stars. And it's for his six grandkids, uh, which is pretty neat. So tell me a little bit, because I'm going to want to dive in in a few minutes about your business, but also... You know, for those folks here in Portland, there's Dennis 7D. So tell me how that happened, because I believe your, your three brothers were in that business, and, and how does that work? So, right, Dennis and I, when we got out of college, Dennis is three years older, and so he was managing the Powell store, and, and we had three stores at the time. And when I got out of school, I, I began to manage the Stark Street store on 165th and Stark, and then there was a store in Cedar Hills in Southwest that was managed by a manager. And so about that time, though, things were tough. The economy was not so good. And basically, we weren't doing very well. So my dad had some growing grounds that he was interested in, and it, it diluted the capital a little bit. And so we were, we were having tough times. He was. And so we went to him and said, hey, hey, dad, why don't you, you know, things are not going well. We owe a lot of people a lot of money. Why don't you let Dennis and I buy these companies, not the land, but the, but the business and we'll go to our creditors and the creditors that we owe money to, and we'll try to negotiate a payment plan and, and see how we do. And if we're successful, then we'll do our business and you do your wholesale growing business. And 
and everything will be hopefully headed in the right direction. And so that he agreed. And so we bought it for debt basically, and for, for vendor debt, which is kind of interesting. And we negotiated with the, you know, back then in 74, we had $225,000 worth of accounts payable that were over 360 days old. And so we wow. negotiated with our vendors and they all said, yep, we'll, we're with you for 10 years. They, they believed in us. And so the next 10 years we paid them off. Wow. That, that is fantastic. And it's sad to say that I don't think the, the vendors would be that flexible when you're 365 days past, but what a great, great story. Wow. So, so your brothers went in one direction, and for those who don't know the Dennis 70s versus the Drakes, you know, tell me a little bit about the, the differences, and you guys bump into each other, or how does that work? Because that's an interesting family dynamic. Right. So back in 74, we said, well, what, how should we run these two businesses? And, and we said, well, let's just own them individually. Let's not be partners. And so Dennis said, well, what are you going to name your company? And I said, well, I think I'll name it Drake's 70s. And he <laughs> said, okay, I'll name mine Dennis's. And, and took off from there. You guys basically are in, in the same business for the most part, aren't you? We are. Yeah. We're, we're garden center and landscape contracting. So yeah, we, we went from there. My, my brother, Dennis had three other brothers working for him. And eventually those three bought his landscape company and then bought the whole company. So th they're a larger company than me and they do commercial landscaping and they do commercial maintenance and residential maintenance. We don't do those things. We, we specialize in residential landscaping design build. And so it's a, a little bit of a different business and we're both great companies. I'll refer them for maintenance or the things that I don't do. And they probably don't refer me for residential landscaping because they do that too. But anyway, we we're all together for Christmas and, and we we water ski and camp together and have a, have a good friendship, good relationship. That's a beautiful story and because, the, you know, there's plenty of pie out there, but I, there's nine out of 10 times. It seems like it turns ugly and it's neat that both of you guys have been able to build these successful companies, you know, and still keep the family intact, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your business. So obviously it's more on the residential side and I know you guys do other things like irrig irrigation and winterization and so forth. So I take it again, it's mainly consumer oriented. And uh, just if, if somebody doesn't know exactly, you know, all the different services, why don't you just tell everybody real quick what you guys do? Sure. Well, we have a garden center, so that's a storefront and that's a competitive advantage for our, for the, for the business. Our main business is landscape contracting. It's about 85% of our, of our revenue. And in that area, we do design, build residential landscaping. So kind of start with the big picture and, and, and then drill down a bit, but in the big picture, we, as a group of people working together as a team at Drake 7Ds, what, what we believe we do, every single one of us, is that we create spaces in backyards for families to grow stronger together and for marriages to, to become stronger and for new friends to be made. And, uh, and, you know, we don't, we're not to end all of that, but, but to some degree, we feel like we contribute to that for a family. You know, obviously if we're doing if we're doing that, we're not going to stretch the family's income or resources to, to, to buy too much. And so it's important to us to make sure that the investment is right for the value of the home and, and that, you know, we don't know this for sure, but that, that the, the resources are there without going into huge debt or making a bad decision. That's important to us. 
Yeah, that, that, that really resonated with me, Drake, because my mom and dad built their own house and they had a landscaping and they put a swimming pool in. I grew up in Texas, but we were one of the few pools in the neighborhood. And my mom mainly did it because she, she was your typical Latino Catholic mother. She was worried about what her kids are doing. So she figured if we've got the pool at our house, then all the kids are going to hang out here and this will be the hub. <laughs> and well, all my friends, when we get together, you know, it's been 40 years since high school almost. And we just have all these amazing memories, you know, so you're, you're doing the same thing by building these amazing gardens and so forth. That's, that's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about COVID and how that's impacted your business. I mean, did you see an uptick because folks were staying at home? They weren't going on vacation. How did that affect your business? Well, the, you know, it began in February, March of, of 2020, and we immediately rebudgeted ourselves because things kind of came to a screeching halt. April, May, June, there was pipeline stuff that was still happening. But as those months unfolded and it became you know, evident that this was not going to be a short duration situation, as people began to, to say, well, I don't think we want to do the project. And so we saw, we, we knew that revenue was going to be down in 2020. So upfront, really quick, we said, look, here's the deal, guys. We're not, the, the goal is to keep everybody here because we think that in six or eight or 10 months, business will be back. We're hoping the pandemic won't last too much longer than that, up to a year. And so we promise that our priority is going to be to keep everybody, keep the team together. So that's the first, you know, peg of the stool. And then the, the second leg is we're going to, we're going to rebudget and we're going to tighten up and we may even have to reduce salaries a little bit. And, and then the third is that we're going to increase our marketing and we're going to, we're going to be, you know, positive. And so anyway, by June, things were kind of crazy, not, good, and, but still moving and July and August. And then all of a sudden it took off and, and people realized they were going to be home. And so we were at the right end of the stick for businesses dealing with the pandemic because in the, in the fall in the late summer and fall of 2020, people were investigating, making their backyard spaces, places where they're going to be. And the resources were, were there, you know, people had home equity and they, they had some cash reserves. And so, you know, we, we just had a great fall and it created a backlog for spring. That was really a positive thing. And then 2021, you know, just grew like crazy. So we we doubled in three years, which is, I mean, that's a hard thing to do. In three years, that's that is phenomenal. So that that, that that's just so interesting. So, but you had to make that conscious decision, and I, and I admire you for having that conversation, that tough conversation with your employees, and saying we want to keep everybody and we're going to tighten our belts. But, and this was the big but too, is the fact that you increase your marketing budget and so forth. So. If you don't mind me sharing, I mean, were you able to keep everybody? Did everybody stick around for the most part? Not even for the most part to a person. Everybody stuck around. Our, our average employee time working together from the, the person who was hired last summer to me, who's the, the oldest employee, were 11 or 12 years average. Wow. So it's pretty strong. You know, the team, that's the strength of our company. There's nothing else that, that gives us a competitive advantage like that does. But that's incredible. I mean, to, to not lose one single employee and then who would have known that you were going to double your revenue, you know, two or three years from now, you know, it's just crazy. But, but again, I commend you for 
you know, making that investment because a lot of folks will stick their head in the sand and, and that's great that you guys benefited from it, but I, I feel there's no accident. So that's fantastic. So how many employees did you have when the pandemic hit and where are you guys at now? Back then, I think we were probably 38 employees and now we're about 50. Wow. And those 50, are they all full-time employees for the most part? They are all full-time. Wow. That, that, that's a great, great story. I'll tell you that that's incredible. So when you look out into the future, Drake, and you look at five to 10 years from now, I mean, where is it that you'd like to take the company? What, what are your goals? Well, so we meet every year for a kickoff meeting in March to kind of get the year going and get everybody on the same page. And, and, you know, we have open book management. Transparency is, is extremely strong and important. So in 2018, we we had one of those meetings and we were at about, we were at about 2.8 million or something like that. And I said, guys, I want to set a target. I think we can accomplish it. And I, I want to get to six and a half million in five years. And we're going to do it this year in four years. And so this past March kickoff meeting, I said, you know, we're, we're ahead of ourselves a little bit. And the reason we want to grow, by the way, is, is not to grow for growth's sake, but to grow, to give our people opportunities to increase increase responsibilities, training, and and the most important thing, you know, wages. And so this last March I said our new goal is 10 million. And in five years. That's that's my game for that's our game, not my game. It's our game. And people really jumped on board, especially some of the new employees that that we've hired in the last couple of years, which we've been really successful at doing, you know, you hear all the horror stories about getting people, but for whatever reason, we've been really fortunate to be able, and I think part of it is, you know, a good, a good story, a, a company that they can depend on and, uh, and, a, you know, an environment culture, I suppose, or you know, not, I suppose, critically important. So anyway, we, we attracted people and and part of it was to, you know, we, we, we have a team concept and an ideal team member where people on our team have three attributes that are strong. And one of them is that they're humble. And the second is that they're hungry. And the third is that they know how to work with people. And so the, the humble part is that they want the team to do better first and them second. And the hungry part is that they don't want to be a hundred percent. They don't want to be average. They want to be 150%. We want to kill it, you know? We'll mm -hmm. And so that, that culture, and as I tell people that, as well as how our vision is to improve people's backyards for family growth and strength, I, I think it resonates with people. Wow. That's a, so just to clarify my thinking on these three, being humble, being hungry, and working with people, are you saying that when you hire somebody, you want to make sure they're, they're, they have one of these skills or do they have to have all three? From when we began that three years ago, we, they have to have all three. Got to have all three. And that makes sense. And we test it and there's a, there's a, like a two minute test and, and don't get me wrong, Al, we are, we are way far from perfect. You know, we, we're a, we're a good team, but what we know is that we have some people who are, who need to work on humility and we have some people have to work in, in certain areas. But the fun part is that we will sit down and say, you have to work on this and it, and there's no, there's no exception. You got to keep working on it and, and, and get better at it because you and I both know that, that it's, it's something that 
you could be better at. But let me get your opinion, because I feel that humble, you can teach someone to be more humble. You can definitely learn how to work with people, but but that hungry part, that drive, I, I call it the 5% rule. You know, there's probably 95% of the people out there just chug along and show up and clock in and clock out and, and trying to find someone that's harder on themselves than any boss. They're always going for more. Do you find that's hard to do? And how do you, how do you find that to make sure that you're getting that? Well, good question. So, you know, the test isn't foolproof and, and, and if someone isn't authentic with their answers, you know, you're going to have someone who doesn't fit the team. The, the, the important part is that if they exhibit, you know, say not being hungry, you know, you work with them, you work with them, you work with them. A lot of managers will say, okay, I can't change him. In our system, we, we, we're so insistent that a person will leave because they decide they can't do what's required. And, you know, and then worst case scenario is that we, we have to, to ask them to leave. We, we haven't had to do that, but that is in our repertoire. Yeah. It's kind of unspoken. Yeah. yeah. There's this great book that I reference all the time by these two professors at Stanford, and they talk about these eight key attributes of visionary companies. And one of them is what they call a cult-like culture, but they mean it in a good way. And they said that if people don't fit with the culture, you eject them like a virus, you know, it's just not a yeah. good fit. So let me ask you this. I think it's it's honorable that you guys are wanting to grow so much. And I love the fact that you're not growing just for the sake of growth, where you want to pay your folks more and so forth. There's kind of a two-part question for this. You know, one is, you know, have you considered having some kind of a employee stock ownership or something like that? And B, from a succession planning standpoint, you know, let's say you want to retire sometime in the future and so forth. You know, how are you planning for that? Yeah, so we're working on that. And the my goal is to have the employees involved in the company from an ownership standpoint. So we're setting the stage for that. And, it, and, and you know, I don't have a, I, I've got two daughters and they're very successful in their own right. And so what I was, I'm thinking is that they, they might own 51% of the company, but it'd be run by a, a hired chief executive officer and management team and and they act as the board of directors so that's that's one scenario the other would be to have employee ownership of some percent and then that would leverage employees who were interested in you know forming a partnership or whatever to to buy the company and run it from there so the goal though is that employees are are going to be involved in the ownership of the company got it well either one of those plans i think are fabulous so as you look at this goal to grow, are you finding it? Because you have such an amazing culture there. Do you have a challenge in hiring and finding people to, to work? There, it, it isn't easy. We, we've had to be aggressive, inventive, and not take no for an answer. So, you know, I guess putting that together with the fact that, that our company is more attractive than maybe some others that people might consider, you know, so uh, good old hard work, right? You, you, if it doesn't, if the regular ways don't work, we've said, let's not be regular. Let's, you know, let's be hungry. Absolutely. So, so I, I'd love to go back a little bit because I'm just trying to picture your, your mom. So seven boys, right? Seven. No, my, the oldest is named Daryl Lynn and she's my sister and then six boys. Wow. And where did you fall in line with the seven kids? Num age? Number three. So you're number three. Okay. So one girl and six boys. I cannot imagine how tough your sister had to be yeah. growing up with that many boys. Well, you know, the, 
the other part of it is that my mom passed away when I was 13 years old. So we had ages, I think six to 19 when that happened. And so she was stuck, I'll say stuck raising us to some degree. You know, you, you would imagine that the oldest has more responsibility in that environment. And so, you know, the, the day after she graduated from high school, she, she got married and moved to California. <laughs> <laughs> Smart girl. Yeah. Wow. But but that probably changed the dynamics when your mom passed away. I mean, th th with your dad having a business, did, were you guys active and working in the business when you guys were young as kids? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we'd, we'd water plants, you know, before irrigation systems were the thing. We'd water plants at the garden center, you know, weed the cans. We would help customers. We'd carry out. Yeah, we were, it was, it was a fun business. And how critical do you feel that was for you personally, as far as developing a work ethic at a young age? You know, as I was growing up, I always felt like, geez, all my buddies on Saturday and Sunday were out messing around with friends and doing all of those things that kids do. And, and we were, you know, working in as, you know, eighth grader, freshman, junior, senior, sophomore. So I was a little bit, you know, how come we got to do this? But my dad said, you got to do it. And so, you know, as we, as we got older and wiser and, you know, dad became wise instead of you know, doesn't know anything, you know, how that goes. And so we look back and it's like, okay, you, you did good, dad. Wow. What a beautiful lesson. And, and I'm curious. So when your brother and yourself bought the business. I know you didn't buy the land and so forth. So, so how old were you when that happened? I was 23, 24. So 23. Okay. So 24. So were you in college or were you working in the business or where were you at the time that you guys made this transition? We had both graduated from Oregon state in horticulture and business and Dennis and I, and so he, he got, he graduated first, went to, to the Powell store. And then I got up second and went to Stark. So we were both, you know, at, right out of college, him, when we bought the company, I think he was out of college three years and I was out of college one year. Got it. So I'm sensing that you kids probably never thought about being a police officer or a fireman or another career. You, you, you pretty much knew what you wanted to do or, or, or did you have something else in your mind when you were in high school? Well, you know, I, I think the others probably had, you know, I can't speak for them, but for me, yeah, I always knew this is what I was going to do. I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. One of my teachers, when I was in junior high said, Hey, you better study harder because you got to, you know, you got to do your career and you've got to get good grades and all that. And I said, Hey, I already know what I'm going to be doing. So why should I? <laughs> I don't know how you could argue with a kid that says that too. <laughs> well, speaking of teachers and our younger generation, because a lot of kids nowadays, you know, they're, they're, they can be disillusioned, you know, with the cost of college, what do you want to do with your life? And, and they get drummed in the head that you have to get a degree and there's other paths and you have a degree and I have one, but not everybody goes that way. So what advice, Drake, would you give to those young folks are trying to find themselves and what they want to do. Oh man, that's a pretty dang deep question. You know, I think that there are so many things that impact kids' lives these days that it's crazy. And we're seeing the next generation, you know, the, the, the 30 to 40 year olds that are coming into the, into the professional workforce, they definitely have a different work ethic and, and expect, this is kind of funny, but they expect things to to go their way and to be given to them a little easier than we expected. So I don't, I guess I'll tell you, I've got some new, new of those people working 
and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Cause I, because I've <laughs> yeah, got, it's definitely, I, I essentially, it's a generational thing for sure, you know, but I think part of it, and I'm not defending these kids, I call them kids cause I'm older than them, but I think they've seen other, their parents and grandparents that didn't have such a grandiose, you know, career, you know, and they were with a company for 10 or 20 years and got laid off. And there's that lack of loyalty. And, and of course the market is so competitive right now that everybody's clamoring for employees. So it's, it's a crazy time right now to bring people on board. Yeah, it is. But I, I really think that it's incumbent upon, you know, companies to hold people accountable and to train them how to, to be successful basically. And it, 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 you know, it takes, it takes hard work, accountability and and, a, and of course, a, a deep commitment to each other, employer to employee or boss to, to employee, you know, a supervisor to the people they're supervising to, to have them improve and, you know, hold them accountable for that. And, you know, I, I don't do a, I do an okay job at that, but we believe it, we believe it. And we also say, you know, you, where you came from has a background that, you know, probably has created good and bad habits. Let's, let's work on the bad ones and let's make you, you know, successful. Yeah. It's no different than parenting, right? You got to do that tough love. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, and I think a lot of folks don't realize, you know, we've all know people and been places where you're making a lot of money, but the culture is just toxic and terrible. And your other places, you know, where the culture is just fascinating, you know, so it looks like you've built a great business there. So let me ask you, I know one of the answers already to this question, but when you were younger, you know, who do you see as your heroes and inspiration and mentors that really helped you get where you are in your life? Well, you're talking about young as in growing up grade school and so Well, it could be grade school or high school or college. Just whenever someone asks you, you know, who your heroes or mentors, folks that really helped you get to where you are, you know, who are they? Sure. Well, my dad was great. He, he was, you know, definitely a role model. And someone I looked up to and someone who was an encourager. And so, you know, we had a, we had a family situation where it was positive and encouraged, encouraged. And so that, that is like a, that's, that's the basics. And so he would be first and foremost. And, uh, and then later in life, you know, speak to, you know, Christianity and grew up Catholic and, you know, went to church every Sunday and a good Catholic family with seven, you know, seven siblings and so on, but really didn't know what we were doing. And so I, I met a guy who was a pastor at Good Shepherd Community Church out in Boring, Oregon. And uh, yeah, your people across the world will laugh at that probably, but pastor came by one day and, and knew who I was. I, you know, I was kind of a known quantity in the community. And so he said, Hey, let's, I want to, I want to get together with you. I want to come over and meet. And anyway, one thing led to another and, and he, he, he paid into my life. He, he invested into my life, like unbelievably and, you know, changed a lot of things just by, uh, by belief system in this case, Christianity. And so he's the other person that, that, you know, that a right, a right angle change for me. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. So he saw that diamond in the rough and helped polish it. So that's, that's a great, great story. Wow. That's super. From there, we've just, uh, the funny part is not funny part, but from there, he and I went to India once to China, he and I, and a team of people out of Good Shepherd to China five times. And uh, yeah, that, that's it. I led a few teams. And so we, you know, we, we would be over there for two weeks and and that was part of the growth of, of, you know, talking and meeting to people and, and, and helping them in their lives.
Wow. But I'm assuming that that interweaves with the corporate culture, and, and I'm not talking about you know Christianity and religion, but just values and the way you treat people and so forth, and helping your employees be the best version of themselves. I mean, do you think that's contributed in you being a better boss and owner? Oh yeah, without a, without a doubt, it did. And and you know the the other thing, Al, is kind of interesting is that when I was and your people will maybe learn something from this, but who listen to this podcast. But when I was 25 and, you know, in a, I had no right to own a business at 24 years old, but I did. But when I was 25 and 35 and even 40, I would, you know, you would second guess yourself and decisions would be really difficult and you'd make wrong decisions often just because, because you don't know how to make, you don't know what the right decision is. And so it comes down to experience. So kind of the fun part of it now is that, you know, when, when there's a decision that needs to be made, I reflect back on whatever, 45 years of being in business, working with people and, and I can make a decision and say, you know, gang, you may not agree with this decision, but this is where we're going. This is when we're going, this is how we're going to get there. And this is the right decision. And sometimes it would be to let someone go who was a critical performer, but needed to let, be let go. But to make that decision against the crowd sometimes because I had the experience to know it was the right decision. And that only comes from experience. I suppose there are smart guys. I'm not a smart guy. For me, it's experience that helps me with good decisions. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how a smart guy would ever pick up on any of that. It comes from that experience, you know, and that builds confidence over time. Uh, that, that I think it's so true. So for some young boy or girl, you know, to get into your industry and so forth, obviously you, you went to college at OSU for that, but what's a good path and, and way to start, let's say if you're at the high school level. And you want to be in, in our business well? Or you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you, if you liked plants and you thought, and you had an artistic mind or, or whatever, you, you would try to get a job at a garden center. A garden center is, is the best way to start in this business because People come in and ask a thousand questions and you've got no choice but to answer them and learn. And so you, you know, how, how big does this plant? Well, you've got to find out and then you've got to answer the question. So start out if you, if you can get a job in a garden center, in a growing nursery could be fine too, just to be around green things, but not quite as a quick learning curve. And, and then there's great community college. PCC has a great landscape design program and Oregon state has great horticulture. Uh, but anyway, PCC would be where I would say to start if you weren't sure about college and learn a trade there. And, and you could actually, you know, graduate with a two year associate's degree and, and, and enter in, you know, to a, to a job and then work yourself into becoming say a design build sales, landscape salesperson or or the manager, assistant manager of the store, or production manager, or project manager for landscape projects, or even foreman. You know, they're all good paying jobs. Oh, absolutely. No, and you get your hands dirty. You're not in a cubicle. I could see where it appealed to a lot of folks. That's fantastic. Well, it's, it's both your, you know, some's office design build. You're going to be in the office if you're a designer and a salesperson. But anyway, yeah, it's a whole mix of, of possibilities. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations. You've built an incredible business. I know it wasn't easy, but you've learned a lot of lessons. And I think the, the culture that you've built 
there is just a, a fabulous story. So I really appreciate you sharing your time and your story. I think it's going to inspire a lot of budding entrepreneurs and a lot of entrepreneurs that are, regardless of industry, I think there's so many teachable moments that you've shared with us. So I really want to thank you for your time, Drake, and I wish you the best of luck. I don't think you guys will need it, but thank you for your time. You bet. Thanks for the time. And yeah, good luck to all you young entrepreneurs. <laughs> Thanks, Drake. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.